I'm Mitch Album, and welcome to Tuesday People, the podcast based on Tuesdays with Maury, the book I wrote back in 1997 that ever since then has taught me many lessons in life and apparently has taught millions of people around the world the same thing. And so each week we take a look at some of the lessons that Maury and I spoke about during those final months of his life when he was dying from Lou Gehrig's disease and wanted to share some things with me about what's important in life once you really realize you're going to die. And we share them together every Tuesday. As always, alongside and welcoming back Lisa Goitz, my friend, producer of the program, who was out a little bit with uh, some medical issues, but hopefully feeling better now. I'm back. You're back. Soldiering I'm almost on. back. Yeah. Yes, I'm back. I'm back, you know, and easing my way back into the world. <laughs> well, you're brave to do it, and it's never easy to do any job when you're not feeling great. And uh, yes, I want to thank true. you for, for doing this job when you're not feeling great. Hopefully we'll make Thank you feel you. a little bit better. Uh, <laughs> today we're actually going to talk about a topic about sort of soldiering on in the face of adversity. And uh, Lisa had an idea and asked me uh, earlier in the week, upon the death of uh, John Lewis, uh, who for many, many years, I mean, like decades, 50 plus, uh, fought for civil rights and even when he was a 23-year-old as a chairman of the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee back in uh, 1963, he was speaking uh, on the March on Washington the day that Martin Luther King, you remember, gave his famous I Have a Dream speech. And back then, he said, those who have said, be patient and wait, we must say that we cannot be patient. We do not want our freedom gradually. We want to be free now. This was back in 1963, and really up until his death last week, he was still preaching a lot of the same lessons and still battling for what he felt was right. And so Lisa said, well, you know, how do you really stand up for what you feel is right when you may feel that society doesn't have the same viewpoint as you? And it's a good question, Lisa, I think now in particular, and one that Maury dealt with a lot as a teacher on campus in terms of how you protest, how you speak your mind, and what's fair and what's not. So we thought we'd turn that into mm -hmm. today's program and talk about that. Have you ever participated in, you know, protests or boycotts or uh, things like that where you had to sort of publicly take a big stand? Oh, yes. The past four years I've been in many. <laughs> mm -hmm. I've gone out. I even, I even went out during this uh, pandemic and did a protest too. Uh -huh. And how did you feel after you were done with that? Excellent, awesome, invigorated, like I did something, like something mattered. Although I can't imagine what it feels like to be somebody like John Lewis who actually did something. Like mm -hmm. he spoke. He was a, uh, you know, a leader. Like he he was a known leader. And uh, you know, when you're one of 10 million that are out there, you know, you know your voice is out there, but is it being heard? It's not quite the right. same thing. Well, if you were in a 10 million person march, I want to know where that was because that's obviously <laughs> the cause of COVID-19 I mean, in spreading. the world. I'm saying like worldwide, there's okay. that many people. Although well, when we did the one here in, yeah, we did it, the, the Women's March in Los mm -hmm. Angeles a few years ago, and mm -hmm. there were a million people here, I think, that were yeah. marching. It was so insane. But well, anyone who thinks is looking at what's going on now and is saying, this is crazy. What's happening to our country has never happened before. We've never lived. The truth is, 
it has happened before. It it always feels a little bit different because protests and and speaking out always takes on a different tenor depending on where you are in society. We now, for example, live in the world of social media. This is totally right. different than back in the protests in the uh, in the eighties or back in the protests in the sixties. Uh, and you can do things differently now just with photographs and Twitters. And let's face it, the, the, the very thing that sparked most of the protests going on now, the death of George Floyd, was only came into being because it was captured by video and sent out to everybody on the social media. If, if, if that had right. happened but nobody had witnessed it, we probably wouldn't have the degree of protesting that's going on right now. So things are very specific to the era that you're in. Right. And... The social media voice is so loud right now. All of this cancel culture stuff that's right. happening. You know, I mean, it's you can be a loud voice on social media and accomplish the same things that John Lewis accomplished back in those days a lot faster. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, you can also um, do damage quicker. And Yeah, uh, I, that was yeah. what I was going to say. That's the yeah. flip side. That's the flip side. Yeah. And yes. we're going to talk about the difference between respectful protesting and shutting people down, which is what we've moved into now when people don't like what they hear. Yes. Because everybody yes. can be part of a Greek chorus without ever leaving their home. And that's not things that people had to face in the past. Now, lest you think that this all was invented in 2020. So Maury and I had a conversation in September of 1995 about protests and he mentioned one in 1938, apparently. 1938. Wow. Uh, there was a protest that uh, he was aware of or took part in. Listen to this cut here. In 1938, when Bertrand Russell had something called companionate marriage, they didn't allow him into city college because they said he would corrupt the youth. And I went on strike against that, against the board's decision to disallow him to come and teach at City College because of his belief and practice mm -hmm. of companionate marriage, which is what... Which was living together without yeah, Which is what it is today. Mm -hmm. They well, wouldn't let him come teach at your school? So what did... You say you went on strike. What does that mean? Well, we you were a student. Just made a big protest. Didn't get anywhere. So. Uh -huh. did, you, did you pick it? Or did you outside the... Yeah, the main building, yeah. So you see, that was 1938. 1938. And uh, Maury had a protest over being able to live with somebody. That was, you know, considered... Not even over being able to live with somebody. Over a speaker coming to City College to talk about uh, living with someone, companion to marriage, wow. which, of course, now is, is, is an absolute given. And that's not even right. 100 years ago. So you see that there were things that people uh, could speak out about. And even back then, they were not allowing certain people to come and speak because they now they said the reason then was he would corrupt the youth. He would corrupt the youth. Nowadays... College protests are different. And sadly, I don't think Maury would approve of a lot of it. Nowadays, you can protest pretty much anything on a college campus as long as you're aligned with the dogma of that particular college campus. 
But right. if that college campus is extremely liberal, for example, conservative voices aren't, aren't welcome in many of these colleges. They're shouted down. They're not invited. If a guest is invited, they, they do such horrific things uh, outside and during and screaming so that the person can't even be heard. And so and I'm not talking about you know, the equivalent of dictators being invited and coming and speaking in class. I'm talking about people who have written conservative books or they take a conservative viewpoint or they're pro-police or whatever, and they don't even get the opportunity to speak because they're either not invited or they're canceled by the university or students come out and say, I don't feel safe if that person is speaking on campus. That's not the way it was done certainly when when we were growing up, which was not 1938, but uh, during the 60s and 70s when protests were very, very common. And during those times, uh, it was very common to get together, like in 1963, like in the late 60s, whether th- there were so many marches and so many protests that sometimes you weren't even sure what it was you were going out to protest. You were, uh, it was free love or or free this or free that or just uh, youth or don't trust anybody over 30 marches. You know, it was just something that was so commonplace. Um, And of course, this the the central force was the Vietnam War. And there was something that not only did young people have a point of view on, but they were the ones being asked to fight it. And so you could understand there were people saying, we don't want this war. We don't want to go and fight it. We don't want our brothers or sisters to have to go and fight it or our loved ones or our kids to have to go and fight it. And so that was what we sort of uh, congealed around. But then there were many other civil rights marches, women's rights marches, you name it, that, that attached to that in the 60s. But for whatever reason, Lisa, I remember you could take part in those things. And for the most part, you know, people might roll their eyes at you or they might call you a name, but they didn't try to destroy you because you took a position on something. They didn't demand that you were fired from your job right. because you went and, 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 and participated in something. Now that seems to be more the case. Now, if you're on the wrong side of whatever they might happen to think, you are making people feel unsafe. And you're not standing for what the company stands for. And so they can ax you. And in fact, they can ax you and do for social media posts. You don't have to go out and protest in the street. You can just be fired for an old tweet or an old position you took or a paper you wrote back in college or, or, or things like that. So it was different back then. Uh, Voices, different voices were, were welcomed. And even if it, was counterculture, it was still sort of understood. Maury here uh, talks about the 60s and seeing a lot of those protests and whether he took part in them or the ones that he did. Here he is. During your 60s, during your revolutionary days. I wasn't much of a revolutionary. I was too much of a pacifist. I believe in nonviolent revolution. Well, civil rights, anti-Vietnam, I don't know if there was, I don't even can't remember. Did you carry picket signs? Uh, I carried picket signs outside the Watertown Arsenal. The Watertown Arsenal? Yeah, picketing 
mm -hmm. war production mm -hmm. stuff. But I don't think I carried them in Washington. Too many people and we met on the mall, you know, that's right. the Pentagon. So I remember, but I've carried signs in my day. So Maury participated and he would often tell me more than participating, he would he would watch a lot of the students and he would encourage them to speak their mind. He would encourage them to protest. Even at one point, they took over some of the buildings on campus, and uh, he was he was so well liked by the students that they chose him to be the liaison to present their list of demands mm -hmm. to the administration. So he had to crawl through a window, <laughs> which is pretty funny, and uh, and that go in. <laughs> yeah, he had to crawl through the window and get their demands. And then he brought them to the administration <laughs> and the administration decided. So that was Maury's, that was Maury's kind of for, he, he was more of a, uh, even then he was trying to accommodate people, you know. Uh, I like that. <laughs> yeah. And, um, you know, I don't know if they got what they asked for, but he encouraged it. Uh, Maury also was a very observant over the decades that he taught that protests and the ability to protest and the desire to protest and make a difference seems to run hot and cold over times. And so there are stretches of time in our American history where people get very agitated, and I think we're in one right now. And you could point to a lot of reasons for that. COVID-19 certainly is creating a, you know, it's making everybody stressful for one thing, and also there's nothing else to do. Uh, you know, when people go out in the street and protest and gather, it's one of the few times that they can actually do anything with the community. If you think about it, almost everything else is shut down. There's no concerts, there's no ball games, there's no movies, there's no anything. Even people just wanting to do something with other people. Uh, I think there's an attraction to that, and combined with the uh, election coming up, with the very difficult feelings that are going on between conservatives and liberals in this country, and certainly with the catalyst, and there's always a catalyst, of the George Floyd incident, uh, you put all that together, mix it together in a stew, and you get a time that's very ripe for protest. But as, as Maury points out here, there were hot and cold periods of protest. The 60s and the 70s were ripe with them, especially at Brandeis University up in Boston, but then things changed. Listen. There was the apartheid, the South Africa business. Then there was the uh, draft at one time. We were against that, uh, especially based on grades. Uh, what else? And then the issue started to disappear. You know, in the 80s, things got very quiet and very discouraging. The kids were not that motivated to take part in the protests. They were motivated in getting good jobs. And that's what's happened since the middle 80s to now, 10, 15 years ago. So we used to complain about how quiet things were. Right. So that's interesting. Here he's talking about there weren't enough protests. The people in the 80s, you remember, what did they nickname that decade? The me decade, right? And that right. was also about everybody was worried about how much money they were going to make. That was the rise of Gordon Gecko and Greed is Good and Wall Street and, right. and everybody, you know, becoming a financier and making money. And there was a big stretch of time, the 80s into the 90s, that nobody was protesting anything. And a lot of the people who abstained during that time from social protest, their kids 
are now the ones who are out in the street protesting. So it's interesting. Right. It sort of skips generations. You know, yeah. uh, their parents might have been the ones who had been protesting in the early 60s. They said, no, I'm just going to do my thing. Now their kids are finding, you know, no, we want to get out there in the street and all. That. So it does come that and it does so go. That is so true. Yeah, I remember because my grandfather, I had we had old newspaper clippings of my grandfather protesting for unions mm -hmm. uh, in Detroit. And he got put in jail. And there's a picture of him like being arrested. He's handcuffed. And then you go into my parents' generation, the 50s, you know, they just lived in their little house. Nobody got did anything. Nobody said anything. Right. You're right. Then it comes then to my generation. Then the 60s came, right? Yeah. And everybody yeah. was out in the street. Yeah. Then the 80s came, and everybody was just <laughs> trying to make their money. And, right. And, different, and there was Occupy Wall Street back in the early 2000s and all that, and now we have this. So it is cyclical if you take a, a large view of it. So, okay, having said that, we've now done our history lesson here. We've now gone through, even in Maury's case, as a college teacher, what he's seen. So now, on a personal level, how do you determine how, what is your cause that you want to stand up for? How do you stand up for it in a fashion that makes you proud but doesn't somehow do harm to you that is irreparable? Mm -hmm. uh, well, this is first and foremost, I think you got to determine who your audience is. And there is too much today of a groupthink mentality that if you've got something to say, you need to tell the world about it through social media. And that's, I think, people's first fatal flaw. They think, I've got an opinion, I'm going on Twitter. I've got an opinion, I'm going to post something on Facebook. There are other ways to show your dissatisfaction. For example, if you want to participate, Lisa, as you said, in a women's march, as you did, you're lending your voice to numbers. You are, mm -hmm. you are one more and somebody else is one more and somebody else is one more and eventually you get up to a million people and the statement is made by the million people who show up for the march. That's the statement by, right. by a million strong. You could do that, Lisa, and never once post a picture of yourself at the rally or add some statement onto social media, or any of the other things, and chances are you lent your support to a cause, but you didn't necessarily throw your voice out there so that a thousand trolls could attack you, or some employer could take it and say, well, look at what she said, and she put this out there into the world. I don't think your employer would be concerned at all if you participated in a march. They'd have no right no. to. If you, if you went on a Saturday and participated in March, if, even if they found out that you participated in March, they can't fire you for something like that. But if you post something or you send an email from your business account or something like that, and then they could say, well, you can't do this on, on business time. Right. You, you can't or we can't have somebody who, who everybody knows has this position and said these words or whatever. So this, you see what I'm getting at? There are. Right from the beginning, there are ways that you can express your support or your opinion that don't necessarily come with the megaphone of social media. The biggest mistakes that people make is they rush out and try to say something on social media because they think that's how you, that's how you protest. And more often than not, all that does is invite a bunch of people to comment back at you in their right. ugly way. And then you could engage back and it starts becoming a tete-a-tete -tete and it's a one-on-one, -on -one, you know, arguing with somebody. 
who you don't even know, who's faceless or nameless, and you could end up getting in trouble. You could end up saying things that you don't really want to say, and you're not, most importantly, really accomplishing anything. You're not really accomplishing anything because you're one of 100 billion voices out there in social media that come and go every single day. Right. Every day. So right off the bat, number one, determine who you want to make your point to. Is it really important to make it to the world at large, the social media world at large, or maybe in your own community? A lot of people who will post things, Lisa, this is sad but true, a lot of people who will post angry diatribes about what's wrong with this country and what's wrong with President Trump and what's wrong with protesters and what's wrong with this will never go to a local school board meeting, will never go to their local planning commission, will never go to local city council meeting or anything like that. Yet they've got all these opinions about what we should do with nuclear energy or what we should do with uh, the Russians or what we should do with people who are protesting police uh, violence, even though they may live in a, in, in, a, in a community where that's not even an issue. But they won't get involved on a local level. They mm-hmm. won't try to do anything small. I don't know why. Maybe it's because they feel like, no, I, what do I want to waste my time with my little community for? That's just my neighborhood. But that's really where you can make a difference. You're not really making a difference weighing in on racism uh, from from a, a thousand miles out in an incident that you're not involved with. If you're talking about people protesting in Minnesota and you live in Arizona, it's not really right. going to change anything. If if you're trying to tell what New York City should or shouldn't do, but you live in Oklahoma, you're not really changing anything. You're just a cacophony of of, of voices that becomes this big noise of social media. But if you go to your own community, your own city council, your own school board, your own, I don't know, recreational board. There are all kinds of things that happen in your community. Mm -hmm. And you try to make some difference there. There you will actually have an impact. Maury used to have these discussion groups. And he used to say to me, you know, this is how I try to make a difference. You know, first and foremost, we want to discuss things. And I said, well, okay, what kind of discussion groups do you have? He said, well, you know, in the neighborhood, I said, well, with who in the neighborhood? Do you live amongst, you know, really influential people? You have congressmen and senators. He said, no, uh, the woman across the street, and, and there's a guy who's a painter, and there's a guy who is in sanitation and something. I said, this is your discussion group? He said, yeah, we, we get together, and, and I think I may have told you this story. We discussed the mm-hmm. one that he was asking me about was the nuclear threat. And they were sitting and discussing the nuclear threat. And... And I said, well, did you change anything? He said, well, probably not. He said, but we made each other feel better. We listened to each other. And I was so startled and so impressed with that, that he took the time, a couple hours of, of a night every week, to have local people over and talk about an issue just right. amongst themselves. And I bet that made more of a difference than 100 tweets yep. or 100 Facebook posts that people want to put out there. So I think if you, if you bring it down to a smaller level, you're probably going to make more of a difference than if you just want to you know, play in the big leagues. You know, Everybody thinks, oh, President Trump tweeted this thing out, so I've got a tweet in response. <laughs> I got news for you. He's not reading it. You, you know, and so you just join a chorus of pros and cons, but you could be so much more productive by actually going out and helping or actually going out and getting involved in the community, volunteering of your time. You really want to make a difference 
in a community, there are so many efforts, and I know as someone who runs a lot of charitable groups and runs a lot of volunteer groups, we're always searching for people. And right. it's amazing. Sometimes, you know, we can get 12 or 14 people to show up to help, I don't know, uh, you know, paint uh, a, a, an abandoned school uh, or a school that doesn't have money in the inner city. And we have to call out, you know, please, please come. You know, maybe we get 15, 20, maybe we get 30 people. But if you want to post something about how money's being wasted in the city or how we need money, oh, boy, you can find thousands of posts. Right. So that's one thing about when you're standing up for something. Are you standing up for it because it really costs you something? Or are you just dashing off a comment and then going back to whatever life you lead? That's something you need to ask yourself. Secondly, you need to ask yourself if you're going to stand up for something. How far am I willing to go for this? You know, John Lewis, as where we began the program, I mean, he was talking about the fate of his community. And he said he was arrested in the 60s, probably 40-something times, beat up, knocked down, uh, ridiculed, vilified, all the rest of it. But, I mean, there are a lot of people, you get arrested once, that's it. You're never doing right. it again. A lot of people are traumatized by that kind of an experience. And it happens to them once, and it's like, that's it. You get arrested 40 times. You really have to believe in something. And here's this quote. I got arrested 40 times during the 60s, <clears throat> beaten and left bloody and unconscious. But I'm not tired. I'm not weary. I'm not prepared to sit down and give up. I'm ready to fight and continue to fight, and you must fight. Are you that dedicated to go through that? For And what causes in your life are you that dedicated for? Right. Because I, I will guarantee you there are plenty of people who will in this country who will go out and stand up for something once, and if they get arrested, that's the last time they're doing it. They're not doing that again. Got arrested, I had to sit in a cell for a couple hours before someone came and bailed me out, go through the, oh, oh, that's it. Others will say, I don't care, I'm coming back. What in your life matters to you that much? Right. And lastly, if it does matter to you that much, then you cannot worry about what people are going to think about you. Because just as Bertrand Russell Maury was talking about in 1938, dared to have the idea of companions in marriage, you know, of, of living together, dared to have it. And now it's a commonplace thing. There are actually parents who advise their kids, live together first, see if you like each other, then you can decide if you want to get married, right? right? Uh, so what's right and wrong now, 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago, may be totally different. And you have to decide if it's important enough to you now to believe that you're right, even if the prevailing wisdom goes against you. Are you willing to say, well, mm -hmm. I may have to, it may have to be 30 years before I'm proven correct. But for yeah. now, I'm going to stand my ground. If you find something that you believe in that much, and there are plenty of people that have things that they believe in that much, then to me, that's worth standing up for. And then once you make that decision, don't worry about what people say about you. Don't worry about right. Twitter mobs. Don't worry about Instagram mobs. Don't worry about people calling for this or that. They, it, it blows over, by the way, in a very short period of time. But in the end, you have what you stood for. And if it's that important for you, and I mean this across the spectrum, whether it be religious principles or whether it be 
civil rights principles or sexuality principles, whatever, if it's that important to you to get arrested twice and then three and four and five or whatever, or to be, you know, vilified or even maybe to lose a job or whatever, then stand by it and know that that's what's important in life. Because, you know, when I watched Maury in his final days, one thing he was very proud of and never said the opposite of was, was the positions that he took in his life. He never said, you know, now that I look back on it, if I hadn't been so, you know, anti, uh, he was very anti sort of capitalism to the extreme. He didn't like billionaires and, you know, he didn't see the need for it. And he said, why can't we share money with people? He never said, yeah, I shouldn't have been like that because I would have had a better life if I felt differently. Uh, I, I shouldn't have supported students on this thing or that. I could have advanced more in my career. There was none of that. There was no regret. He died believing strongly in the things that he lived believing strongly in. And I think if you can do that, you can sleep in a storm, as they, as the expression goes, because you're right. at peace with your, your own beliefs. That is so true. I agree. So there you have it. Uh, something to keep in mind for the days going forward when we're sort of being asked in some way, shape, or form, what do you believe in? What do you want to stand up for? So remember, uh, A, that this has been going on a long time and that you know, the, the idea of protesting and standing up wasn't invented in 2020, as we witnessed here, and Maury, uh, Maury clearly stated out. Number two, social media is not the only way that you can make a difference and, in fact, often is the wrong way to try to make a difference. Number three, there are small levels that you can make a difference in your community, in your small world, that may be more effective for how you live and how your neighbors live than attacking Washington or Beijing or other things like that. And number four, make sure that the stand that you're going to take is for something that you believe strongly enough in that you're willing to lose things for. And if it is, then you've, you've already found your your true north and you know where you're going. Yep. And I think John Lewis did that in his life. Whether you liked him, didn't like him, agreed with him, didn't agree with him. He was 23 years old when he stood there alongside Martin Luther King Jr. and made that statement. And right up until the last weeks of his life, he was saying the same thing. So there was somebody who believed from the beginning to the end that his principles were where his heart was and he was going to stand up for them. Paid a price, right? but also was celebrated for it. We could all do a lot worse. We do this program every Tuesday. It's called Tuesday People. You can check it out at Tuesday, wetuesdaypeople.com on the web. Lots of communications there, lots of postings and people talking to one another about previous shows. And you can get access to all of our shows there or at mitchalbum.com. And uh, next episode, we'll address a post that we put out uh, after last week's show about uh, Maury and his talking to the people of Doubleday who published the book Tuesdays with Maury and the little message that he gave him, which we put out on, speaking of social media, just very innocently without a lot of fanfare. And man, oh man, the response to that. Uh, so we'll review that. And there are a few other little juicy tidbits that uh, we have in the in the tape vaults here that we'll share with people as well. So 
until we see you again, Lisa, I'm so glad to have you back. I, I hope you continue oh, to feel better. I'm glad to be here. Yeah. Feel better <laughs> and you. better and better. And uh, until we see you again, on behalf of Lisa Goitz, this is Mitch Album saying, see you next Tuesday. Thank you for listening to Tuesday People. To be part of our conversation, join the Tuesday People community at wetuesdaypeople.com. Subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss an episode and share it with your friends. We look forward to having you with us every Tuesday because, after all, we're Tuesday people.